Hello. Hey, John. Hi, Dan. How's everything going? Good. You sounded a little different. I do. Yeah, a little. Uh, maybe it, maybe I'm just maybe I'm just hearing something. Something. That's kind of cool. The, I mean, I haven't sounded different in a long time. I listened to recordings I made years ago, and I'm like, I used to sound like that. No, there's something different now. It's now I'm noticing it. It's true. There's something different. I'm glad. I wonder what's happening. I don't know. I don't know. You sound like a. You sound. You sound. It's slight. It's a slight difference, but it's real. I'm all for it, man. It's about time for change around this place. All right. Hey, you know? that's the attitude. <clears throat> yeah. I like it. I like it too. I like it. You're not feeling. You're not. It's not a. I'm not hearing sick or sad. No. Okay. No, Good. definitely not Good. sick. I mean, you'd have to <laughs> have to leave the house to get sick. <laughs> right. I'd have to see another human being in order to right. to do that. And that's you know, my kids were off for I don't know how long are they off for Christmas? And three months, it seems like. Yeah, three months. Yeah, that's typical. So I saw them, but they were cooped up too. So yeah, right. You know, They're unless unless it's getting in through the walls, which is what uh, I think you know, they, my, my they mom was their worried nose about. And eat it. <laughs> kids pick their nose and eat it and that'll make you sick won't it well i mean yes it mm-hmm. makes me sick thinking about it mm, i know you're sensitive yeah <coughs> mm. well you know my kid is back in school in person yeah might have been and uh yesterday we got a message that there's a kid a friend of hers the sister of her best friend mm. has the uh has the covid Oh, we get messages. I get at least two or three of those per day. Yeah. Per, so now we're school. we're all kind of sitting around going, well, uh, I don't know. She, you know, my mom gave her the the PCR test this morning. Everybody feels fine, but it's just like, wow, it's just it's just marching. It's just inches by inches marching until it gets through the keyhole into my little private sanctum here. <sighs> I'm not looking forward to it, Dan. You don't think that you've had COVID at any point, do you? Yes. There are three different times in the last two years where I have thought, I probably have COVID right now. Like like it, with a high degree of certainty you thought no. you had it? Or more like, oh, this this could be COVID kind of thing. Exactly. This could be COVID kind of right. thing. I never, you know... I never had, I never lost my taste or smell. I never had a 105 degree fever. I Mm -hmm. just had like vague discomfort in my chest and unexplainable sort of a week long fatigue with aching joints. Sounds like it, right? I mean. Well, it, it, it does, except, except, who knows? Well, you know, both of us are, I mean, I want to go on record and say we're both medical doctors, you know, mm-hmm. Harvard educated mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and know mm-hmm. everything about this. Yeah, so people should, right. should absolutely listen to us. Um, we know, we know everything about this. That's exactly right. I actually called, things, I called my doctor that and seems I, unlikely. I had a conversation with him about COVID and most of it <laughs> Did was recorded for posterity. No, no. Uh, but most of it, was for my mom's behalf because she's so she's she's a combination of very factual scientific data and complete hysteria and she's it depends on which question you ask her as to which answer you're going to get either one that's 
like up to the up to the minute the latest that the CDC has come out or something that's completely fear-based and has no logic, you know, whatsoever. Right. And and so I I like to know not necessarily because I want to correct her. I'm I'm far more evolved now of a person to think that I will ever change anyone, let alone my mom's opinion about anything. But right. but I do like to know what the reality is. So when when she says something, I will kind of be able to know, oh, that's a CDC thing versus that's a thing that's completely fear-based that has no grounding in reality. Yeah, you're a reality-based person. And so I talked to my doctor and I asked him, you know, a bunch of questions. And among them were things like, you know, how come everyone that I know who currently has COVID also had a booster, that kind of, those kinds of questions. And most of his answers were like, we don't know. We don't know. Yeah. And he's very yeah. up on this. He's, you know, he's like, this is, he's studying this stuff regularly. And <laughs> the answer to almost everything is like, well, we're not really sure. We don't really know. And, um, but what it seems like is I, I know at least two or three people who currently have COVID and it seems mm-hmm. like the Omicron one. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they were all boosted and everything else, but it seems like a surefire thing now that if you go out socially and you're, you're everyone, including you with you, isn't, isn't masked up and being careful. You're going to get it. It seems like that. Like the people Mm. that got it had such a minimal and, you know, like you ask someone, do you wear a mask? Oh yeah, I wear a mask. You wear it, right? Of course I do. And then reality, like they're just at a bar drinking. You know what I'm saying? Like it's. Yeah. But these are people who I believe them when they say that they were careful because I know them. I know them pretty well. And it seems like you just, if you're going to go out, you're going to get it now. Like if you just go hang out with some friends at lunch, you'll come back with COVID too. Like it's yeah. just, it just seems like that's the way it is now. <sighs> yeah. I'm not happy about that. I'm not saying it like I think it's okay, but. No, well, I, you know, I feel bad because I, uh, I see Ken Jennings every week. We spend a whole day together in a, Mm -hmm. in a, in a bunker in my, in my (laughs) recording bunker. Right. And, uh, but he has to fly down to record the Jeopardy program. Uh, sometimes like the day after or certainly within a week. Yeah. And he's desperately trying not to get COVID. Although he and his family also want to go out and do things. Sure. Um, but so we have this kind of like combined desire to not have him get sick just because what a you know yeah, what a that would be. disaster that would be you well, have to get buzzy cohen out of uh, retirement well, what i was going to say was like the people that i know that have it and these are these are people who are very very different physically from one another you you couldn't possibly find two completely different people in every possible way and they both have what I would describe as like relatively, I don't want to, be, you know, diminish the concern that people have around this, but like, again, both of them double vaxxed and boosted, right? But there, it didn't, it doesn't sound that bad. Like it sounds like a crappy cold. Yeah, I know. But the thing about Ken is that he's got to go down there on an airplane and then yeah. he's got to take 25 tests and they're not going to let him record the show no, if he's he, got it, he no matter how well it no, is. No, they wouldn't let but if they so don't swap, just, if they're not swabbing, you know, the other thing now, Omicron, mm. <clears throat> it used to be that it would live in your nose mainly. 
But now yeah. it's not going into the the nasal passages as much or well, until much down. later. And you actually, now you have to swab a throat because here's other people in this mm. second person that I know. Okay. She got it probably from her friends and her friends all tested negative until like the very end when they got another test and then they were positive at the end. So I read about this and the latest stuff that's coming out now is saying that one of the differences in the Omicron is that it, it's in your throat now, mm, mostly. Mm. And so there are these instructions that they're coming out with now that are saying, don't just swab your nose, like swab your throat, and then you'll get a positive test from your throat and a negative test from your nose. Uh-huh. Jiminy Christmas. Yeah. First, I'm, I'm just, any, if, if you have any kind of what seems like an upper respiratory infection, I, I'm, I think it's COVID now, no matter who mm, you are or mm. where you are. Right, yeah. right. Well, anyway, I feel fine today. Good. So moving on, getting on, getting on with life, you know, yeah. it's not like to. I'm going to go breathe on anybody or go to a pizza parlor and cough on people. I'm just going to sit here in my house like I've been doing for the last two and a half years. Yeah. I got a lot to look at though. Like out I'm the sitting, window? Well, yeah, because, um, because it's finally the quickening has arrived <laughs> in the form of the team of 20 AmeriCorps volunteers who are uh, highly trained uh, plant planters, and they're here swarming over my ravine after two years of removing invasive species, the first year and nine months, just me and then my mom helping. Yeah. And then for the last five months, the AmeriCorps people. And now all of the invasive species are on the run mm. and they are starting yesterday and today and tomorrow. They are planting, Dan, 900 plants in my yard. Can you so stop them? I mean, is there any way to stop them? <laughs> no, there's not. I'm looking out the window and there are all these like hail and hearty People in their early 20s, all kind of wearing Healy Hansen fishing rubbers on over the top of their dirty Carhartts, and they all have some kind of thing on their belt that has probably a knife and a compass and a fishing line. And, you know, that's equal, equal, uh, like, um, Equal, I would have said equal boys and girls, but, I, uh, but I'm going to say like a very diverse group gender-wise because you mm -hmm. never know. No, you never know. Well, especially with the Healy Hansen stuff on. <laughs> and, you know, and of course, all their fishing gear is green and brown. Yeah. And green-brown. So I look out and the ravine is full of people. Ugh. But I kind of can't. That's, you know, sometimes like somebody will move from behind a tree and I'm like, oh, that's a person and not a, not a bush. Anyway, so there's, there's like hundreds of little ferns and, and fir trees and mm -hmm. all this stuff going into the ground all around. And, um, yeah, it's very exciting. Although I'm also very apprehensive about it because they're down in my, they're down in my area. Yeah, I wouldn't like that myself. I know every inch of this property now, and there are these kids that are just like, duh, 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 I guess this is where a fern goes. And I'm like, oh, man. So I don't want to. 
I don't want to be this guy, Dan, but I think I'm going to have to go down after they're gone. I might have to. And I'm move, move stuff? I'm definitely going to. Because I'm going to get down there. I know how to plant plants. I know how to. I know how to replant plants. I'm gonna. I'm gonna look at what they've done, and I'm gonna go. Hmm. Yeah. I feel like this needs to be there, and I just. It's fine. I'm not gonna screw up any of their stuff. I just have a better sense than they could possibly have mm-hmm. of what things are. Now, their chief, Ashley, the chief lady, she and I walked around. We've walked around the property many times, and we went around yesterday, and I said, not here, yes, there, this is a thing, that's a different thing, and she very definitely appeared to know what I was talking about and understand what I was saying, but then she has to communicate it to these 20 Healy Hansen, uh, like, land fishermen, mm-hmm. and it's just never going to, it's it's never going to translate all the way, but it's very exciting, and it's raining out, so they're all out there just living their best lives. Yeah. Twenty-two years old, <laughs> covered with mud and soaking wet. That's what they want. Planting plants. That's what people like that want. I had a. I had a. You're, woman you're from, helping them. I well, you know, kind of, right? I mean, that's. I had. I, I was talking to. So a woman from the from the city came out because my next door neighbor, one of my problematic ones. Has problematic how? Oh, she's just she's just lame. Like doesn't like what, like what? Like dogs barking lame or no? No, no. She's the one that for for thirty years just threw her garbage over the fence. Uh-huh. And when I was, you know, when I first started cleaning up the property, I was just pulling bags and bags of garbage. Just like you know, her son would have a party. They'd fill up three garbage bags with red solo cups and. And beer cans full of cigarette butts, and they just toss it over the fence. Was no one was, living in where you are? Is that why well, it was okay? Or well, it was never okay. It wouldn't be okay if it was if it was just wild country. But no, it was that the people that owned my house were in their eighties, and it's a big property, and they couldn't maintain it. And so the back half of it that was over by this woman's house had become blackberries and overgrown, just looked like a crazy overgrown ravine. Mm-hmm. But I don't care if it if it is a I don't care if it's a, a lava pit. You don't just toss your trash over the fence in any universe. Yeah. And they did it for years. And you could tell that it wasn't just her kids, it was her. She was she claims to be a master gardener. Mm. But she would, you know, she'd plant plants in her backyard and then all the other stuff, the plastic pots and the little tags and the plastic bags, she'd just toss it over the fence. I know that's not her teenage kids that are doing that. Anyway, so for the last two years, I've just been pulling her trash out of the yard and she, and she she won't quit. So she's still doing it. That was my question. It's a, this not, isn't a not, past thing. This is an ongoing thing. Not garbage, but... Uh, yard waste. Like every time she has somebody come work on her property, I walk over there and they're just dumping their lawnmower bags or, or do you say something every time? What what do you say to the people? Well, for a long time I was like, Hey, don't do that. This is the property lines here. And they'd be like, you know, uh, they, you know, look at me weird. I mean, is it a, is it a fence that's separating the, no, there's no, no, it's just a, Oh, we'll just put a fence up. Well, that's the thing. It's a, it's a, it's an expensive fence 
because it's on a weird slope. And so I've, but I had a guy come out to, to give me an estimate on the fence. Yeah. How much but, is know, it going to be? Well, he hasn't sent me the estimate. It was just a couple of days ago. Okay. Those guys take a she, long time. Have you ever okay. noticed they she said six, he said six months yeah. six before months. he could get out to, to do it. Yeah. 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 So yeah. you've got to deal with this before then you can't just wait. Well, the problem was in my survey with the fence guy, I came upon a place where there was a brand new drainage pipe on my side of the property line draining her drains down the slope. Mm -hmm. And there were some old grandfathered ones, but this one was like 10 days old. It, It was new since I'd been up there last. And of course, part of the project of of restoring this ravine has uh, uh, the city of Normandy Park has declared it a critical wetland. That was a big part of the whole thing because I was down there working, and the city got mad because they discovered that I'd done all these, I'd made all these changes, and it's a and it's a critical area. So that's I, the official designation, a critical area. Yeah, and so so the the uh, the. King Conservation District people really saved my bacon with the city because they were like, look, we'll, we understand critical areas. We'll take over from here. And they got all the permitting figured out for me. And But so this thing is – so she's draining God knows what down the side of the hill into the critical habitat, damn, that I've created here. And so – the city of Normandy Park sent their code and compliance woman out. Oh, that's serious. To take a look at the drainage pipe. Right. And we're walking around and she's like, oh, this is no good. Oh, this, this, this is bad. This should not be like this. And then she started, you know, she took a bunch of pictures and she was talking to me and she was like, well, so it's a long and involved process to come after somebody for a code violation. And so don't, you know, Nothing's going to happen in the next week. Let's just put it like that. <laughs> and I was like, no, that's fine. I don't, you know, I don't want to go to war with this lady, but she just has made it impossible to, because uh, she's just very, she, on the, when you, when you meet her and talk to her, she's extremely friendly. She brings you fudge on Christmas. You know, she's a nice lady who wears Frosty the Snowman earrings in the winter. You know, like a nice, she runs a daycare. Nice lady, but she's just completely disrespectful. You know, when you say, don't throw your stuff over the fence, she, you know, she looks at me like I'm, um, like I'm telling her not to flush her toilets. Yeah. And I'm like, it's, that's the problem. It's not your toilet. It's my yard. But anyway, as I'm walking back up the hill with the code and compliance woman from the city, she says, you're the podcaster, aren't you? Hmm. And I said, <clears throat> what do you mean? And she said, oh, well, one of the city council people here in Normandy Park loves your shows. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and well, it might help said, you. It's not an oh, no. That's a, oh, good. Well, and I don't remember what shows, I feel like every show, at some point in time, I've talked about City of Normandy Park and the ongoing process of my life here. 
And uh, she said, yeah, he came into the city offices one day and said, you've got to hear this. And he played uh, a show that you did where you talked about going down to Normandy Park City Hall and uh, interacting with some folks at City Hall. And I was like, oh, trying to remember what show it was and what I said. And she said, yeah, it was really funny. You were talking about the city manager and how she looked at you with sheriff eyes when you when you were talking about your new property and you felt like she was right away trying to like city hall you, you know, manage, manage you with her sheriff eyes. And I'm thinking this whole time I like, that I like I've been, this term sheriff eyes a lot. This whole, this whole time that I've been living here trying to negotiate with the people at the city of Normandy Park about all these permits and all of the trouble that I'm in and then all of the great turnaround that happened when I got the when I got the the county and the conservation corps people to come in and now everybody's friends and everybody's psyched. They gave me a really nice letter at one point saying, you know, uh, that I had, that by doing this, I'd gotten the county and the city to cooperate finally. And they were all so happy that they knew each other now. And they, they you were should, You should like run for like uh, the city council or off, well, some kind of office or something with all your uh, ability to bring people together, synergy, you know, two hands I, shaking. I, I know I would accept Dan the the, <laughs> the the city government of Normandy Park the the city council of Normandy Park decades ago voted decided to make their positions pro bono. <laughs> oh. Oh. Well, screw that. <laughs> you know, if you're on the Seattle City Council, you make $180,000 a year, but yeah. the Normandy Park City Council is just something that you do out of the goodness of your heart. And I'm like, "Come on." Come on, if it was even a modest stipend. And then the mayor, the mayor of Normandy Park, which would be a job I would love to have. I could see you as a, you'd be a great mayor with the hat and the coattails the, and everything. The mayor is. Sort of like the, you'd need a monocle. You'd have to change your glasses out for a monocle. I, know, I would do it too. I would wear, I would wear a top hat and tails all around town and a sash. Yeah. An ascot. But, but the city council picks the mayor from their own ranks. So the mayor is kind of an honorary position on top of an honorary position. Although it's competitive, you have to run for city council. There is a vote. Um, but then the mayor is just like, I guess, the person that's on the city council that the other council people feel like it would be the good mayor for right now. It just doesn't. I mean, maybe that's my future. Who knows? But anyway, she says to me, yeah, so the woman that you called Sheriff Eyes, we all thought that was hilarious. And so we all started calling her Sheriff Eyes. <laughs> and then somebody got a little gizmo that when you push it, it plays a little 8-bit song. Oh, yeah. And it's got the theme. Betty Davis from, Eyes? Uh, no, it's got the theme from The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly or whatever. It's got the... <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> And so every time she comes into the office, we we would push the the little button because she was sheriff eyes. And I was sitting there thinking like the, the other shoe is about to drop in this story. 
And she's going to hit me with a non-compliance fine for $50,000 because she's like, and here's what I think about that. Boom. But no, it was just like a lighthearted story from her, from her perspective. And, but, but I went from feeling like I'm just down here living in the suburbs with a bunch of regulars and I'm trying to stay out of trouble and I got a little bit sideways with the city, but now we're all back and friends to being like, oh, everybody at City Hall freaking is down there. Like, I'm not anonymous. And I did it to myself. I did it to myself because I, because I, I feel like I, I feel like Dan. I'm getting. I'm. I'm. Hmm. What am I trying to say? <laughs> the other day, I was thinking about this girl that I had a relationship with right at the end of high school, right outside of high school. She was. She went to a different high school. She was this beautiful person that I knew from the debate team because she went to service high and I went to East. And she was a much better debater than I was. I was. I was a clown. And she was really put together. And she went to Notre Dame and l- became a lawyer. And she was like really, really together. And we ran into each other. I was with a friend. She was with a friend. Our two friends knew each other. We were downtown in Anchorage in the middle of the summer. And the two friends were like, oh, hey, and started talking. And then she and I were standing there. And we had a kind of like, oh, do we know each other? Oh, from debate. And we started talking, and she was beautiful and so, like, elegant. And at that time, I was neither beautiful nor elegant. And for some reason, Dan, she was, she was interested. She clearly was interested in me. And we went on a date mm-hmm. to see the movie Born on the Fourth of July. And then we were in a relationship. And I didn't know what – I was so over my head. Mm. Because she, like, I don't know. She just seemed like somebody that was going to be president of the United States. (laughs) And she's half Korean. She had a whole, she had a way, like, just a, just a, I don't know, a, a, a gravity. But she wasn't, she was, but she was light. And she invited me to a party at her house. Summer in Anchorage, you know, and I went to this well, yeah, I know, right? I went to this party and I get there and lo and behold, there are a bunch of people at this party I know. And they're, and some of them are from my high school, but they're not my friends. She's friends with people from my high school who were the rich and kind of well, the rich and beautiful people at my high school that were not the um, – they were socias. They weren't conserves. They were fancy people. And one of them, Peter Bland, was a kid I'd known when I was a little kid. He and I were friends when we were three years old. And Peter is just such a handsome guy, so handsome, so charming – but somebody that the bullets just bounced off of. And I think they bounced off of him for the rest of his life. The last I heard, he was working for the Utah Jazz or something. You know, he's one of those people. Like, in a, has a job working for the Utah Jazz as some kind of front office person. Who even knows what, what that life is that Peter Bland has lived? Who knows? I always liked him and his brother Wiley. I liked him a lot. 
but we were not in the same world. And so here I am at this party at Debbie's house. Her name was Debbie. And there's Peter Bland. And he looks at me, walk in the front door. And it's clear that Debbie has said to her friends, I have a new boyfriend and he's coming to the party. And I walked in the door and I had long hair then and was just like, just like looked like a dirty pile of clothes. I walked in the door and Peter looked at me walk in the door and his face fell like a look of horror. And he actually said, no, but not in a funny way. Like he was appalled. Debbie, like he, like he wanted, if I hadn't been standing there, he wanted to take her and go, no, Debbie, you don't know. You don't understand. Like not him, not him, whatever you do, anybody but him. And, but Debbie, in her way, like, this is the difference between high schools, right? At East High, the line between rich, sociable people that one day will go work for the Utah Jazz and, like, the smart, woolly sweater crowd that was going to go to Johns Hopkins, there was a clear line between those groups. But at Service High, where Debbie went to school, there wasn't. At service high, it was different. There were some rich people that were gonna, that were going to go work in professional sports, and Debbie was going to go to Notre Dame, and they were friends with each other. So somehow it was just this small little, this small little like uh, you move the slider one way or the other, you know. Well, so I'm at this party, and I'm so fish out of water and I'm just embarrassed like because I also felt like what am I doing here why does this girl like me why am I at this party with um with people that don't want me here and yet this girl does want me here and I want to be with her but I don't know how and I I went and smoked some pot damn went out into the parking lot and I smoked some pot and it was heavy pot yeah it was that heavy stuff, man. Dank. It was that dank, heavy, trippy, hmm. paranoid, mindfuck <laughs> pot. <laughs> yeah. And so I come back into the party, and now I'm tripping balls, you know? I'm just, like, paranoid. Everybody's looking at me. I don't know where to, you know, like, I would, I would have a cigarette, and I'd put the cigarette up to my lips, and then I would think... When you put a cigarette up to your lips, do you, do you keep the hand there or do you put the hand down? I forget. Do you leave the cigarette in your mouth and put your hands down at your sides <laughs> and then take a drag and then put your hand back up? Or do you keep the hand there while you're taking a drag? I don't remember. Right. I don't remember how to smoke a cigarette, Dan. And so I spent... Did you the like next, practice or anything like in front well, of a mirror? No, then, you, then, you know, as soon as, you're, as soon as you're that baked and you start wondering whether, where to put your hands... You're screwed hmm. because because you don't know where to put your hands. You're thinking about your hands now. You look down at them and they're, your hands are like two balloons. You don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. And so I'm walking around this party, not sure what, you know, not sure whether my hands are connected to my body. And that's not the right way to be chill. And so I'm being chill, you know, I like I lean on the, 
I lean on the banister, but the the banister's unscrewed, or it's not even a banister. It's just a it's somebody's like wrapping paper tube that they balance on a lamp, and you're like, it's a banister, and then it all falls. You know, it's just like it was not good. And so Debbie comes over at some point, and she's like, let's get out of here. And I'm like, let's get out of here. Yeah. Nice. Wow. She wants to get out of her own party. <laughs> her own we place. Went, we went together out, <laughs> out into the woods, like behind her house. And there's some, you know, there's some raging party and she wants to be in the woods with me. But I'm out there and I'm, I'm just like every time as I'm standing there looking at her, I'm just like, so I'm so tripping about, oh, I don't belong here and and I don't know what to do with my hands and I'm not sure like are are, are we out here in the woods cuz we're going to have sex in the woods? I don't know enough about sex at this point to know how to do it even in a bed really. Right. Like a less like the woods is not really the ideal location for figuring that out either. No, no, no. Much later on in life you can you're you're like, "Okay, I can fit, you know, I can manage to have sex where wherever the opportunity arises." But at this point in my life, I'm like, I don't know. I kind of feel like I'd rather be in a bed or I'm not even sure if you if that's what we're doing here. Are we just standing in the woods making out? Do you have something to tell me? And oh, and there was there was some element where she was like, "I have something to tell you." But then it wasn't <laughs> She wasn't clear. She didn't tell me. She didn't tell me. And so I was like, something to tell me? And it's, you know, get in that that mindset where you're like, oh, she's going to break up with me. Well, if she's going to break up with you, she's not going to take you out into the woods. No. She's not going to say, let's get out of here. No, she wants to make a very quick escape back into the crowd of people. Sorry, we can't, you know, date anymore. She's dancing on the floor like, you can't approach me now. Yeah, right. Insulated by the presence of other human beings. Well, then we go back into the house. We're lying together on the couch in her father's office or den or library. I mean, it's a big house out in the out in the sticks. Somebody comes in and sees us in there and makes another kind of like gagging sound or something like, "Oh my god, I can't believe you're with that guy." And anyway, the whole thing I was so and then I started drinking, Dan. And uh-huh. as soon as I start drinking, you know, like I'm not a, uh, I don't start drinking and then it's a, and then it gets bad. I just start drinking and it gets wild. <laughs> uh, and so I don't even remember how that all worked out. But at the end of the summer, she was going back to uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, or, or uh, Notre Dame, and I was going to hitchhike across America. And I was going to go. I was going to go there as one of my way stations. I was going to head to Indiana and I'm out and I'm hitchhiking and I'm, you know, and I was still in that freight hopping mode. So I was jumping trains, this, that, and the other. Your hobo days. I was hoboing. Yeah. And I get to, I'm in the Midwest and I'm kind of bleep blopping, you know, leapfrogging from thing to thing. And I had a friend in Ithaca and the friend in Ithaca was like, I've got a job for you. The Corn- Cornell Reunion Association needs bartenders because right. it's reunion season. And I I was I was somewhere on a trajectory to western New York. And I was within 
I don't know, 300 miles of northern Indiana. And I just kept going. I didn't go visit Debbie in Indiana. And I didn't have a good reason. Yeah. Going to Cornell to the to get a job as a bartender was not a good reason. I didn't go because I felt like I felt unworthy, and it was only a matter of time. And I was going to get to Notre Dame, and I imagined that every girl there was wearing a plaid wool skirt, a bl- navy blue crew neck sweater, and a string a short string of pearls, and they all had their hair super duper done. And I was going to roll in with my scraggly ass mm-hmm. smelling like creosote. And who knows, when you look back at it, you know, clearly she was slumming. But maybe that was what she really, maybe it was a side of her that she didn't get to express otherwise. And almost certainly our conversations were something that, you know, brought stuff to her. She She wasn't. She wasn't slumming like had just found somebody asleep under a bridge. Like we were, it was not that outrageous. But to me, it it felt completely outrageous. And I just felt like I was going to show up at her campus. I was going to look like a, a total dork. And we were corresponding, I guess, by letter. And <laughs> I just, I, I mean, that's pretty cool, but like, it seems, it sounds like such a long time ago too, you know what I mean? It was. Like so long ago, like, like record players are still around, but I don't know anybody that's writing letters, like on a piece of paper, (laughs) like with a pen. I wrote a a letter and and dropped it in the mailbox in Lexington, Kentucky or something. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to Ithaca. I'll, you know, I'll come back through. Uh, on my way back, I'll see you, you know, I'll see you soon. I just had to go do this thing. I had to see a man about a uh, horse. <laughs> and after Ithaca, I ended up in Washington, D.C., and I never I never went back, and I never saw her again. After that, I, I didn't go back to Anchorage for a while. She probably was still going back at Summers, but, you know, we weren't members of the same crew, so I didn't know how to... I had her... I knew her address. For whatever reason, we didn't see each other again, ever again. And she's one of the people that I think about, not as somebody that got away, but just as as like one of those things where you, where you look back and go, I've lived a non-linear life. I can't just, I can't look back at my life and say, well, I dated this girl for a year and then we broke up and then I dated this girl for a year and then we broke up and then I married the third girl. You know, it's like, no, a lot of things could have happened. You know, a lot of things. If I had just been a little bit more on my feet, I mean, who knows? Who knows? But the thing is, the thing about her is like, I'm just old enough that a lot of people my age are not on the internet even now. The difference in age between you and me, Dan, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is the difference between 50% of your friends being on the internet and 20, 15% yeah, of your friends. No, you're absolutely right. Like probably half the people in your graduating class have are at least on Facebook. Am I right? Is it I more mean, than I, that? I 
I have no idea. I don't have a Facebook account except that I use for like logins to services that stubbornly refuse to let me sign up with an email address. But uh-huh. when I did have a Facebook account, yes, like like exactly what you're saying. Yeah. And for me, it's it's just miraculous. The number of people that you put in there, you know, pretty detailed information and get back null. Right. Like nothing. No reference whatsoever, and I'm sure she got married. I'm sure she has a, I'm sure she has a married name or whatever. But like, I'm pretty good at searching the internet, as we all are who have been on the internet. Nothing, nothing. Uh, the trail is dead. Well, except for one thing. My friend Sheffer, who went to West High, Sheffer's sister Mullen knew Debbie. They were friends. And again, Mullen and I wouldn't have been friends in high school. We would have known each other. Mullen was totally wearing uh, crew neck sweaters and a string of pearls. Like we were friends. She was a ski racer, but she was like a hot, she was like a, she would have looked down her nose at me socially. Sheffer didn't because Sheffer was a world-class fuck up. And he and I were friends since we were little kids because he was a world-class fuck-up and I was a, you know, I was a second-class (laughs) fuck-up. Well, so Mullen, a couple of years ago, Sheffer listens to to our show. And Sheffer said, oh, yeah, I was talking to Mullen the other day and she said that she always had a crush on you in high school. Oh, you hate hearing that. That's the worst. Well, and I was like, really? That's sweet. You know, she was, Mom's a little younger. I was like, that's sweet. She absolutely gave no sign of it because she was totally wicked to me. Not wicked, but, you know, like younger sister of my fuck up friend. Every time I would come over, she'd be like, hello, John Roderick. You know, that kind of. <laughs> yeah, uh, sure. yeah. Which I Which I still get from <laughs> most people. Uh-huh. Uh, hello, John Roderick. God. But but so Sheffer says, oh, Mullen says she had a crush on you. Well, that's that kind of retconning of life where you get to be 40 and you're like, you know, I had a crush on that guy. Well, yeah, but if I'd said, hey, Mullen, do you want to go to the dance? You know, she would have like barfed in her penny loafers. Well, somewhere along the line, I guess, Mullen started listening to uh, podcasts, listening to this podcast. Well, I don't know when it was, but I told a story somewhere, God knows where, about Mullen's mom and dad, because they got into a banking kerfuffle in the late 80s in Alaska, (laughs) and it was a big issue. It was in the newspapers. It was a big issue, and it involved my uncle and my dad. And Karen Korn's parents, you know, it was a big scandal. And I told the story of it somewhere. I don't remember where, because I don't remember. I've, I've never listened to any of our shows. Who knows what I'm talking about? Yeah, right. Even people who do listen don't, couldn't necessarily say that. Right? I mean, some, some people know. I'm sure as I, as, I, as I say this, somebody's like, oh, the story of the banking kerfuffle. Sure. That's episode 274 or whatever. But I don't remember talking about it. Anyway, the other night I'm laying around 
This is before the woman from Normandy Park tells me that everybody at City Hall now listens to the shows for and is you know like finding out what I'm what my my neighborhood problems are and giving each other cute nicknames. I'm sitting in my room and I'm like I have not had very good luck reaching out to girls I knew in the past and saying, "Hey, I haven't talked to you in 30 years, but I was thinking about you and I just wanted to say hi because I've done it a few times and almost always the response is I'm happily married. <laughs> or, like that's how they open the conversation. Like, Hey John, well, happily married. Uh, let's <laughs> how's the weather? Because the question, you know, the question of like this guy from the past is looking me up 30 years later and what does he want? You know, it's almost in, it's like a trope. What does he want? Well, he's, he got divorced or his wife is dead and he's going through his memories trying to think of the last, you know, like all the pretty girls that he might get married to so he doesn't die alone. And it's hard for me to explain like, no, I'm just extremely melancholy, sentimental type. And I'm always thinking back and replaying episodes and thinking, oh God. And it's not, it's not a what if so much as a, God, I wish it all I wish it all made sense. I wish the story I wish all the stories tied up somehow. And and Debbie is one of those people that I, you know, there's not been a week that's gone by probably since 1986 where I haven't at least briefly thought God, what a and it's all part of the the song that I sing to myself that goes, you're a dumbass, you've always been a dumbass. <laughs> Fucking it up again and again. <laughs> dumbass, dumbass, dumbass. And so it's just a, you know, it's a refrain. Oh, Debbie. That was so, <laughs> that was so bungled. And... And and now later on in life, I realize like there was an easier path for me. There was an easier way, or, or maybe there wasn't. Maybe this is the path. God, as he was as he was putting, he had God had his little pill box where he was going and putting one pill in every day. Like oh, here's all the, and then I have an a little baby aspirin in every box. You know, tick tick tick. And as he went by the box that was me, he either left a pill out or he put a pill in. I don't know. Maybe this is the only way. But that that whole version or that whole vision of like, ah, Debbie, if only I'd been a little bit less self-recriminatory then, maybe I wouldn't be so self-recriminatory now. So I was, I don't go on Facebook anymore. Yeah. I haven't for a year. But every once in a while, somebody will send me a link to, you know, uh, some, somebody will say, here's a news story. And I'll click on the news story and it takes me to Facebook because that's where they got the news. And I didn't look at the link. And all of a sudden I'm on Facebook. Well, I still have an account. It takes me right to it. And then I'm sitting there at my, at my Facebook page, which I haven't, you know, every once in a while I go, go on there and post a link to, a, to something on my Patreon. But otherwise... I am not there. Well, I end up there, 
and over the little icon that says messages, you know, I've got dozens of messages from people who are like, hey, man. Hey, buddy. And so I'm there. I read this news story, and I'm like, I'm going to go read the messages. God, I'm far enough away from it, right, that the that a half a dozen of them are going to be like, why don't you feed your kid, bean dad? <laughs> and I'll just be like, yeah, I know, I know. Stupid. That's fine. So there, there's a message from Sheffer, and Sheffer's living in San Francisco, and I nice. think for a while he was working as a he was working at a bike repair shop. I mean, Sheffer has continued to to arc through the cosmos like a like a flaming star. You know, he's really one of a kind. And so, and he and I have talked over the years. We talked back and forth. Anyway, I was thinking about Debbie, and so I wrote to Sheffer on Facebook, and I said, Sheffer. Can you ask Mollen if she can put me in touch with Debbie? I've never asked this before. I've never asked Mollen for anything. I haven't asked Sheffer for anything, frankly, because one time many years ago, we were on LSD and Jägermeister together, and I got jumped by a bunch of guys and got beat up, and Sheffer hightailed it. And I've always been mad at him about it ever since. That was 30 years ago. That was more than 30 years ago. I'm still mad at him about it. But I said, can Mullen get me this information? Well, Sheffer writes back and he goes, Mullen's mad at you. I'm like, Mullen's mad at me? I thought Mullen had a crush on me. I haven't seen Mullen since 1987. <laughs> I, was, I was operating on the assumption that Mullen had a crush on me and that, all, that everything was right in the world. Right. And Sheffer says, well, apparently you talked about my dad on a show and Mullen heard it. And I'm like, God damn it. What are you talking about? Like, it's a show you did. You're not even listening anymore. But Mullen, who lives in Connecticut, is listening and heard a show where I talked about her dad. What are the chances? But then... The chances, Dan, are 100%. If the people in Normandy Park City Hall are listening, mm-hmm. I'm sure they li- I mean, they obviously do listen. Yeah, they're listening now. Hello, everyone. Hello, Sheriff Eyes. Hello, Mullen. Well, I, for the last 10 years, I've been podcasting as though I'm in some kind of bubble, right? In some kind of alternate reality. Even during Bean Dad, when when those trolls were scouring Twitter for, you know, every time I said, you know, they they had a list of forty keywords that they were using to scour everything I'd ever said. <laughs> no one ever came over to the to the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of podcasting I've done and pulled really anything. There was a there was a, a brief moment in 2014 where I said something on Roderick on the line about um, something about equal pay for equal work that didn't sit well with uh, with some people and it was kind of early days of 
people forwarding it to people I didn't know who were like, how dare he, you know, listening to a like two minute excerpt of a podcast and saying he has no idea. But other than that, no one's ever gone through the podcasts and hit me with the 500 things I've said that, that don't square with, with the current world, you know, let alone Merlin, you know, who knows? <laughs> I mean, even Jesse Thorne and his, and his, um, his max fun world of righteousness. Like if you go back and listen to every episode of, of, of their sound of young America and all those shows. Yeah, sure. Bullseye. I mean, yeah. those guys said every kind of terrible thing. It's just that they, I don't know, maybe they leave those shows up and that's a thing that they, well, that one day that'll come home to roost for them too. I don't know. It always does. But the thing about, the thing about me is that I talk about everybody. I, I use their real names. I, I tell stories from my life and not everything is flattering. And now Mullen is mad. I'm trying to get Debbie's contact information so that I can awkwardly write her and say, Hey, I haven't talked to you since 1986, but I just thinking about you every week for the last 40 years and wanted to say hi and see how it's going and then get a reply from her. That's like, yeah, I've been happily married this whole time. My husband uh, is sitting here with me while I write or whatever, you know, and, and no, what she's going to say is I had three kids. They're all in their thirties. And I don't know. Who knows? Maybe she'll write me and say, I've been thinking about you every week for the last 35 years too. Yeah. And maybe we should meet at the (laughs) Four Seasons Hotel in New York City. Right. right. (laughs) No, you want to go up to the, to the, um, you know, the place where you can uh, put a quarter in the little viewfinder machines and, 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 you know, one of you waits up. the top of the Empire State Yeah, there. That's where you want to (laughs) meet. Well, it turns out that Mullen and Sheffer's dad is super sick. He's in a wheelchair. And so my story, what uh, the, my lighthearted story about how they were investigated by the FBI in the 1980s, apparently really it's still a very sore topic with them, and it really hurt them. And I felt terrible. I was like, well, I didn't mean to hurt you guys. I just talk about stuff as though it's all – as though – I and my life are a puppet show that I've been watching. Like, my life is like a Moomin performance on The Muppet Show, and I am Statler and Waldorf. Uh, 